This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Hey, welcome back to The Gospel for Life, and Happy New Year! Uh, The rest of the guys and I are taking some time to rest as we start this new year and new week. Uh, Today, you'll be listening to my good friend, Pastor Russ Herman, preach through Psalm 115 at Cloverdale Reformed Church. Uh, What you'll appreciate about Russ is his dedication to the Word and calling your attention back to the authority and preeminence of Christ in all of Scripture. So we pray this sermon would be a blessing to you as you begin your new year. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. See, we trust in that which we see and understand to be that which is sufficient. And the psalmist is saying, God is sufficient. I think the overwhelming sense of the scriptures is that God is more than sufficient. That God is absolute. He's everything. He's the Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of everything. The Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 26 asks the question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Which I actually think is just the answer of what Psalm 115 is saying. What do I believe when I confess that that God the Father Almighty is the creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and the earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father. For the sake of Christ his Son, I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. Isn't that just another way of saying that God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases? But the question and answer doesn't end there. It adds one more phrase. He's able to do this because he's almighty God. And he desires to do it because he's faithful father. Will you trust that God? That's almighty God and your faithful father. What's the everything that he desires to do that pleases him? For his people? It's to turn everything for our good. Do you trust that? And what are you trusting? 
What holds your heart? What holds your affections? What are you beholding and becoming? Our second point is blessing, verses 12 through 15. The blessing is connected to God remembering. The sense here is God recalls his promises and acts upon them for all those who trust in him. It's covenant language. It's God is faithful and cannot forget what he's vowed, what he's promised. You find this language all throughout the Old Testament that God remembers. And what God is remembering is himself. He's remembering his tendencies. He's remembering his faithfulness to what he has said and what he has promised and what he has taken a vow to do. And the blessing is the same for all the groups that were mentioned in 9 through 11 that once again are mentioned here, to Israel, to the house of Aaron, and to those that fear the Lord. But there's one other nugget here. In verse 13, the psalmist adds, both the small and the great. Who's God going to bless? It's as if the the psalmist is is saying, "I, I, I want the reader to be clear that God is going to bless everyone, both great and small alike. It's, it's another way of saying that within the, the church of God, there are no small people. There are no people that God doesn't see, that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't meet and bless and desire to see grow and flourish. Verse 14 takes the reader back to the Abrahamic promise. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. This is the theme of Genesis 17, that God is a God to Abraham and his offspring. Over and over again throughout that passage in Genesis 17, you have that phrase repeated, to Abraham and his offspring, Abraham and his offspring. This is the covenantal God from generation to generation, blessing his people and the children of his people. And where does this blessing come from? The Lord who made heaven and earth. This is why I think it's so important to have in our minds clearly established that God is the creator of all things. Because scripture uses that as a basis of trust to say if God can, by his word of power, bring all things into existence and sustain them by that same word of power, that's a God that can be trusted. That's a God who has the power to bless. And he'll do it because he can. This God reigns and rules over all things. Verse 3. All things are under his power. All things are under his care. And what's the proper response to that? It's our third point. Glory and praise. Verses 1 through 3 and 16 through 18. We circle back to verse 1, which is a call for God to receive glory. And we're given the reason why that this is appropriate. A key clause, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I'm not sure there are more important phrases in all of Scripture than those two. God's steadfast love and faithfulness. 
So often we want to make the Christian life about ourselves. It's fascinating. So often you hear people talk about their testimony, which in and of itself is a fascinating phrase. Do you all know that we have the exact same testimony, every single person in this room? God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Anything you say beyond that is just meaningless, meaningless municipal data points that really are insignificant. What matters is God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Why do we have what we have? Because God is who He is. It's because of His great mercy. And it's because of His covenant love. It's because of His faithfulness. We're not going to take the time this morning, but I would strongly encourage you to go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is praying on behalf of himself, confessing his sins and confessing for the sins of the nation. And the, the, the bedrock of that prayer is God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And at the end of the prayer, Daniel actually has the, the angel Gabriel comes to him and the angel Gabriel says to him, after Daniel lays out this prayer, based upon God's steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness, the angel comes and says, I'm coming to you because you are deeply loved. I think one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. You're deeply loved. Why does God deserve glory? Because of who he is to sinful people. And we're to give him praise. Verse 16, The heavens are the Lord's heaven, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. We were created in the image of God and as stewards here on earth. And part of our role as stewards is to praise God while on earth. Sometimes people read this passage and think, well, this is saying that there's another example of that the people in the Old Testament didn't believe in the afterlife. You see, they're talking about that those that die no longer praise the Lord. That's not actually what these verses are saying. What these, saying is, these verses are saying is, once we die and are buried on earth, we no longer praise the Lord, which is exactly true. Once I die, I am not in this earth any longer praising God. That's all it's saying. But what it is saying is that as long as I'm on this side of the ground, my job is to praise him. And if I'm a faithful steward, God's praise will consume me. From this point on and forevermore. The psalmist is saying, this is what defines our life. Bringing glory to God. This is not a slogan for the back of a t-shirt. It's a life. It's in the details of life. And not just when people are watching. Not when people are looking at us. Not when people will notice. This is how we are to live 
all day, every day, every minute that God is worthy of glory and praise because He's God. And He created us as worshipers. John 4, that the Father is seeking worshipers. And the call upon our life is, will God occupy the first place? Will He be the one in which we trust? Will He be the one in whom we trust alone? And as a result, will He be the God that is glorified and magnified and praised by our lives? That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our desire is that the opening verse of this psalm would be the refrain of our lives for the year to come. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name be glory. Father, we recognize that left to ourselves, we could not live this out. So we would ask that by the powerful working of your spirit, that you would take these truths of your word and use them to transform us. That our hearts, our affections, our mind would be occupied by you. Father, we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.